Lennon. And I'm Fiona Campbell. Welcome back to another episode of COVIDcation, the podcast for students by students that looks at the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on us. Today, we'll be telling you about the stories of those involved in healthcare, from the people who work in it to those who are impacted by it. We recognize the hard work the professionals are putting in daily and want to highlight their unique role in the pandemic. For privacy reasons, some identifying details about people, including their last names, have been left out. However, it doesn't take away from the impact of their stories. Personally, I haven't been to a doctor's office since the outbreak began, but Fiona, I know you have. What was that experience like? Yes, I've actually been to the clinic a few times since the pandemic started. Every other week, I go to get an allergy shot, and the clinic has changed their procedures a lot. So two days before my appointment, they usually call me and screen me over the phone, asking questions like if I've been out of the country recently, or if I've been in contact with anyone who may have COVID. Then... At the front door of the clinic, you have to call a number for someone to open the locked door. After that, a nurse will take your temperature and have you fill out a form asking basically the same questions that I've answered over the phone. Then I go and I take my form to my clinic and I give it to my nurse. They read it over and then shred it right away. And all employees are wearing full personal protection equipment, also known as PPE. So it's quite the process but there's a silver lining. The good thing is I don't have to pay for parking anymore. It's free parking. Well, at least you're saving money. Fiona, you recently spoke with Rachel, a dietitian currently working at a Toronto hospital. What has it been like for her? Rachel's job has changed dramatically because of the new procedures all around the hospital, not just in the COVID unit. So Rachel specializes in kidney care and helps patients pre-kidney transplant. She works upstairs at the clinic and usually deals with outpatients. She tracks their nutrition, kidney function, and gives advice for day-to-day life. But recently, she's expanded her reach and is helping other dietitians on the hospital's COVID floor. She told me about the changes she's been dealing with since the WHO declared the virus a pandemic. First thing I noticed that started to change in our program were that, that all the outpatient clinics were canceled. Uh, so now um, any um, intake would be done by the physician on the phone, and that would leave me to screen patients' uh, blood work and follow up on any referrals or concerns. Um, what then started to happen was that as the patient load started to surge in the intensive care unit, Uh, the floor inpatient dietitians started to support more the ICU and then the floor dietitians needed support. And so that's when I would say about a month ago, let me see, a month ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was um, deployed to also support the medicine patients um, as well as my own program. So I'm managing now two programs. And, and to do that, they had to kind of retrain me in skills uh, as far that I used to use when I used to work in intensive care unit and as an inpatient dietitian. Wow. I never would have thought that dietitians were dealing with so many drastic changes during this time. Fiona, were you surprised as well? 
Definitely. It just goes to show that at the hospital, all hands are on deck when it comes to fighting the pandemic. While battling COVID-19, healthcare employees need to protect themselves. I asked Rachel about how she and her coworkers are staying safe during this time. We do something called cluster care to minimize how much staff is in a patient's room, especially if they have COVID. So if it's information that you can access through the team while they're in the room, then that's kind of the preferred route that most people do. But we have been given formal training on the right formality and routine on how you take put on, how you gown up and how you would take it off. Um, and there's actually, a, they have an e-learn quiz that you do on that. So they really prepare the staff for, uh, to use PPE. After work, how is Rachel continuing to protect herself and her family? She told me she undergoes a decontamination routine after every shift. Yeah, so when I get home, um, at first no one wanted to come near me. <laughs> um, but I, I wash my hands, I immediately go into the shower, I change and then I'll make dinner, possibly walk the dog, uh, but definitely I change out of my clothes and shower. This all sounds so stressful. I can't imagine being in Rachel's shoes during a time like this. Did she say how her colleagues are feeling about the current situation? Yes, she did. For her and her coworkers, it's a lot to deal with. But luckily, there are resources specifically for medical professionals to use if they're feeling overwhelmed. I know from my own colleagues, it, you know, it is a lot more stress than we're normally used to. And, um, and we all support each other. One of the perks that uh, has come out nationally is that they're providing um, support through the psychology associations of every province. And so for free, they give a list of people and you can call someone as many times as you want and just kind of share, you know, how, how you're managing and coping. I definitely feel for the healthcare workers coping with the emotional toll this pandemic is taking on them. Fiona, I'm glad you had the chance to speak with Rachel about her experience so far. Me too. I think it was an important perspective to take. Like, she wasn't expecting to be thrown in the middle of all this craziness. But then again, no one was prepared for what's happening. Fiona, this is the first time we've ever seen something like this. You and I were both really young when SARS hit the GTA. Yeah, so we would have both been around three or four. So I know I definitely don't remember much about it. But someone who does remember the virus's impacts is Patty Tamlin. She's an intensive care nurse at Scarborough Health Network's Birchmont site in Ontario and has been for almost 35 years. She worked the front lines during the SARS outbreak in 2003 and later contracted the virus. Once again, she finds herself on the battleground, this time fighting COVID-19. Tracy spoke to her about what it's like to face a viral enemy again. The 59-year-old veteran has the experience from her past to help her deal with the war all healthcare workers are facing today with the pandemic. Tamlin says, back in 2003, when SARS appeared in Toronto, she developed a fever, but didn't think anything of it. I happened to joke about it to one of my coworkers at the time and said, boy, I've got a fever. And she happened to mention it to one of the docs, uh, one of our intensivists. 
And he's like, okay, Patty. Uh, he is, of course, thinking SARS. And he sends me to a room. And, you know, if occupational health is going to come, sends me also for an x-ray. And then next thing I know, he is walking into a room with a mask and a, and a gown and has an occupational health worker coming. And then they took a, a nasal swab and sent me on my way and said, don't go anywhere. The difference at that time was it was so early in the game in SARS at that time. And I was sent home, but wasn't really told to isolate at that time. She was later sent to a SARS hospital to recover. She says when she first entered, she wasn't feeling that bad, but as time went on, she developed a high temperature, pneumonia, and a low heart rate. Despite this experience, Tamlin still returned to her job. She's now working on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic and says this time the experience is much different. I think one thing that's greatly different with this one compared to the last one is the volume of people that are affected. So clearly uh, the spread of this one seems to be much, much easier. It's, it's so much easier spread and you have various levels of how people feel. And, and I've spoken to a number of, of peers and coworkers and people on the outside of healthcare and you're looking at various levels of staff who have PTSD, so post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, from this. And you have various levels of that as well. Um, and even from people who did not have SARS, um, I did, and yet I do continue to go to work with COVID. Um, there are people who uh, didn't have SARS and are so panicked by it that they can't work. Um, or they have quit their jobs because they're that terrified, um, or people who have to work from home because they need to. Bottom line, everybody is uh, really terribly concerned and worried for the most part. Tamlin says she feels comfortable working as long as she's protected and can protect others through access to proper personal protective equipment, or PPE. However, she still has her concerns. We are actually reusing uh, an N95. We're reusing them. We'll currently take them per day and put them in a paper bag and reuse them each time uh, we go into a patient. That is not normal practice. In normal life, pre-COVID, what we do is each time we go into a, a, a room, even if it's the same patient, we would get rid of that mask every time for every intervention. Correct. But because of the concern of the supplies of these masks to make sure they're available, we will actually reuse it for the for the the shift that we're there. Um, so that means, you know, we have a, a process called doffing to make sure that we take the mask off in a particular way. And again, we always have to wash our hands uh, and we reuse that through the day because the concern is, will we have enough? She says the hospital is taking steps to ensure it still has alternative options if PPE supplies run low. Well, one of the things that uh, a number of organizations are doing because they are concerned about supplies, right. um, we are, uh, you know, sort of allotted two masks uh, per day at the moment, who knows in weeks from now, that we wear throughout our day. And many organizations are wearing, uh, even though I'm around and not with a COVID patient, I'm wearing a mask. And the purpose of that is such that if I'm asymptomatic and am at work, 
and I wear a mask, I won't have the droplets to spread to somebody else. And then they too are wearing a mask to not spread it to somebody else and somewhat protect ourselves. So currently we have at the moment enough where we're kind of rationing and we may end up actually, we save them in boxes to potentially, it's not there yet, but potentially sterilize them for reuse. Her hope is that we get through this phase of the pandemic while effectively managing outbreaks. As difficult as the past few months has been, Tamlin says it's important that we continue to follow health expert guidelines to avoid a repeat of this pandemic in the future. You know, we don't want this to continue for 12 months. And if it is done well and in a graduated process, if there are little spikes, which I think there could possibly be, they would be smaller, maintained, and tracked much more quickly and easily. And we wouldn't have a huge wave where we're all in the same place again four months down the road. We're already doing it once. When we come out of it, as frustrating as it may be, as difficult and financially difficult on many levels for many people, it needs to be done right because then you're not doing it again and to have to suffer through this process again. In Whitby, Ontario, I'm Tracy Bowers-Lee. As graduating journalism students, we're entering the industry at a crazy time. The way we've been trained to do our job is not the way we're doing our job right now. And that's true for everyone in the journalism and news industry. I mean, you look on TV and you see the news reporters standing six feet apart with a giant pole with their interviewer um, and interviewee. Or you go on the radio and you hear that guests have clearly been Skyped in, phoned in, FaceTimed in. So it's definitely a different way to do things. Mel, are you struggling with this new way of journalism right now? I would definitely say that I'm struggling a bit. Um, it's taken some getting used to, and I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, but we're very lucky to be able to complete our jobs remotely. However, there are a lot of people who aren't quite as fortunate. Ryan spoke to someone who knows this all too well. Just two years ago, Caroline was in school to become a nurse, but now she is putting what she learned to the test at a hospital in Toronto, Ontario. Caroline is from Durham Region where she still lives with her parents and siblings. Last month, she turned 24, and she is now working on the front line of the COVID-19 virus, one of the worst pandemics of our time. She talked to Ryan about what it's like to be so young while working directly on the front line with COVID-19 patients. I picked nursing because I was really into health sciences, and I wanted to choose something that was hands-on and I knew I could get a job with after I finished school. Finding a job wasn't as easy as I thought it would be, although there are lots of positions available. Um, I had a connection to get into my field, so I was able to meet a manager through a friend of mine. Um, but I do know that everyone I graduated with now has a job um, since being in school. So there are jobs available for nurses. I found that my clinical placements prepared me for my job, so there wasn't really many surprises when I started working on my own. I knew there would be a pandemic when I would be a nurse. I think the world has always talked about it. There's always going to be the next thing. You know, we've gone through SARS, we've gone through 
AIDS, you know, it, it's, it's been in history and it'll continue happening. Did I think it would happen so early in my career? Absolutely not. Now, due to COVID, everything has changed in my role. I find that pretty much every admission now has been a COVID-19 patient. We're either trying to find out if they have COVID-19 or it is confirmed that they have COVID-19. And just every single patient I'm working with now is related to that diagnosis, which is pretty crazy. Uh, when I get home from work, I go upstairs, I change, I shower right away. My hair is falling out because I'm washing my hair so much. Um, and then at home, I'm locked in my room or I'm outside alone and I'm not in contact with, with anybody outside of the hospital. So a very isolated <laughs> lifestyle. My family's been very supportive. They're cooking me wonderful meals. They're FaceTiming me. We're playing games through Zoom and and FaceTime. And they're, they're really supportive. And they're still present, even though we can't be present face-to-face. -face. I think so. I think I've really stepped up to the plate. You know, I, I, I'm keeping a level-headed mind. And my team is amazing. And, and we're still smiling at work. And, and I think I was kind of made for this this scenario this work right now i'm really committed to my job another group of people who are vulnerable in these times are people who live in retirement homes yes and it's not just the residents who are impacted by the virus but the employees too one of these employees is chanel she started her job as a concierge at a retirement home in durham region just a few years ago Little did she know she would be working there during a pandemic. She talked to Tara about how her job has shifted over the past month while battling COVID-19. As the COVID-19 pandemic persists, retirement and long-term care homes in Ontario continue to be hit extremely hard by the virus. Chanel is a college student. She isn't a personal support worker or a nurse but she's doing both those jobs at a long-term care home in Durham region. She started working at the home as a concierge a few years ago, but as the needs of the home grew with the pandemic, her role expanded and changed. Basically my job evolved into being a PSW, kind of a nurse. I've worked in the kitchen serving. I've done scheduling for every single department. I've done all the administrative stuff. And I even like stepped in for sales as well. So when people would come through and want a tour of the building, I would have to do it. So I became like a multitasker of like, she can do it all. Chanel even recently had to take an online test so she would be able to deal with narcotics if need be. She says since the pandemic, the home has been short staffed more than usual. Not having enough nurses or PSWs on shift has made her job more difficult. And the home has had to make some changes along the way. Uh, so it made it worse. <laughs> so um, because of all the protocols that public health has been putting out to all of the retirement homes, and as well, our home definitely jumped in before um, some of the mandates were made. Like just recently, they made the mandate that um, agency workers, so people who aren't our employees, but are uh, maybe work for an agency like St. Elizabeth or like 
gem or different ones out there that come in to support homes who need people like extra people um they're only allowed to now work at one specific home to prevent cross-contamination and then they also ordered that all healthcare workers are only allowed to work at one home as well too well that's like too late in my opinion because we started doing that way before to prevent the uh cross-contamination from happening before COVID-19 family members could visit their loved ones in the home freely. But that has changed. Chanel says she now realizes just how much family members mean to people living there. Um, the other thing was uh, family members were not allowed to come into the home anymore. So this is when I realized just how important family members are on top of the more like psychological effects and like caring for one another and making sure you're supported. A lot of family members come in to do laundry for their loved one because maybe they're not on in their care plan to receive laundry for personal laundry from us because that's an extra charge so they get one bag of laundry done with a room clean because everyone gets a room clean but anything additional like oh i want my sweater washed the family does it unless they want to pay for it so a lot of residents uh needed stuff washed a lot of their daily things that they were used to having done weren't being done even though some PSWs can make as much as $22 an hour, Chanel says some staff members have taken the time off because the federal government was giving up more through its emergency response benefits. The only thing was a few weeks ago, we had one employee who was tested, tested positive, And that was a whirlwind because everyone was calling me, freaking out, like, what are the steps you guys are taking, blah, 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 all this stuff. Staff were freaking out staff decided they wanted to take a leave because the government was like, yeah, here's all the money, take all the money. So people started applying. For Chanel, not being a nurse or a PSW has made this situation overwhelming. I mean, I think in the moment right now, I'm overwhelmed because of being both a student full-time and now my hours have increased the full-time plus juggling all these random tasks now that I have to do plus there's like the looming thing in the back of my mind of like COVID coming in. So <laughs> there's like a lot to juggle in your head. If Chanel had just one wish right now, it would be that everyone could see what it's like to work at a retirement home. I wish every single person could volunteer in a retirement home and have their eyes open to seeing what retirement life really is like in this day and age in 2020, because it's not what you think. In Oshawa, Ontario, I'm Tara Sotiri. In order to stop the spread of the virus, many rules and regulations have been put in place by the Canadian government. Politicians have played a big role in supporting Canadians during this time, but certain communities in Kenora, Ontario need a little extra help. Brandon spoke with the rookie MP for Kenora about what his community needs from him during this pandemic. During the COVID-19 pandemic, many young adults have dealt with school closures, unemployment, and social distancing. For 22-year-old Eric Melillo, things are just a little different. In my speech, I would uh, like to congratulate all of my colleagues on their new or returning roles and take the opportunity to thank the people of the Kenora Riding for placing their trust in me to serve. Melillo is the Member of Parliament for Kenora, Ontario. He was elected on October 21st, and just five months into his role, 
This very young elected official is facing the kind of challenge that is testing even veteran politicians. For all members, it's a challenging time because nobody has really gone through anything like this before. Even when we think back to H1N1 and some of those other um, global health scares, they weren't really at this, this same magnitude that we're seeing right now. The Kenora riding spans more than 300,000 square kilometers, but only has a population of around 50,000 people. Melillo says one of the main challenges right now is communicating the important facts and protocols about COVID-19 across his riding. We're spread out uh, sort of naturally in a lot of ways, but uh, there's some communities that don't have newspapers or some communities that have you know, limited radio or things like that or poor internet connection potentially. So there is always a bit of a challenge in, in getting information uh, out there. His riding is home to 42 Indigenous communities, most of them remote and each with different circumstances. They all faced challenges pre-COVID-19, now only made worse by the current pandemic. Melillo says the three main issues faced by these communities are remoteness, overcrowding, and unsafe water. A few of these communities include Fort Hope, Cat Lake, Fort Severn, and Grassy Narrows. Melillo says these issues have the potential to strain the healthcare system even further, but the situation is under a close eye. Yeah, we just got to have a lot of trust in, uh, in those who are on the ground, the, the experts, the people that are a lot smarter than me, uh, to be able to uh, keep us informed of uh, what's necessary going forward. Earlier this year, Melillo spoke to the House of Commons about mercury poisoning in Grassy Narrows. Mr. Speaker, the people of uh, Grassy Narrows First Nation in my riding of Kenora have been suffering with the effects of mercury contamination for decades. Now in 2017... This Today, the contaminated water continues to pose risks to the Indigenous community. Melillo says... Having to deal with unsafe water is a unique challenge across many Indigenous communities, especially in a pandemic. Tough to wash your hands if you can't do so with the water. And um, th that, again, depends on the community. There's a lot of boil water advisories uh, in my riding, uh, but that's uh, usually safe enough to, to wash with. But in, in a lot of communities across the country, they actually do not consume or do not use advisories. So you can't use the water for any purposes. And, that would pose uh, some challenges in uh, trying to maintain uh, that healthy hygiene as well. However, if there is a silver lining in this pandemic, it's that other Canadians are being reminded again of the substandard living conditions of many Indigenous communities. Melillo says it's great to see people taking the situation seriously. You know, if we can get through this, this hopefully brief period of uh, pain, I don't want to use that word, but <laughs> get through that, then uh, and hopefully we'll be... Uh, um, in, in better shape uh, once it's all over. In Oshawa, Ontario, I'm Brandon Wright. Mel, we spoke a lot about the conditions for those working within the hospitals and clinics, but what about the people who need the services that these places offer? It's a very good point. Hospitals have had to focus their time and resources to fighting COVID-19 and in that transition, a lot of services have been left behind. Current moms-to-be have had to make some difficult decisions while arranging their birth plans. Tracy spoke with her close friend, Coran Jennings, about her experience with pregnancy during this pandemic. Being a new mom is special. It can be scary and painful, but at the same time, very exciting. For Coran Jennings of Pickering, Ontario, the experience hasn't been any different. She's in her 38th week and says she cannot wait to meet her baby girl. It's been up and down. I feel like 
it's my first child, so I, I have no, nothing to compare it to. I'm at this point now that I'm like, okay, I'm just ready. I'm ready to see this little bundle of joy come out. But the end of her pregnancy has been anything but routine. Most of her prenatal appointments have changed because of COVID-19. She used to look forward to going to her routine ultrasounds to see her baby and hear her heartbeat. But she says the process is now different. When she arrives at the clinic, a nurse greets her at the front door. She would usually hand over her doctor's form and health card upon checking in, but now forgoes the process. There is very little interaction. Now she goes straight to the back where she changes into a gown and then the nurse's technician escorts her into a room to administer the ultrasound. Koran says even her doctor's visits are different. With all of these uh, restrictions been implemented, we have to wear a mask and there's only a couple people at a time in the clinic. And as soon as you walk in, they tell you to go wash your hands and then you apply your um, hand sanitizer and then right away you go straight to the doctor's office. So there's no sitting down uh, interaction with anybody. It's pretty much in and out, right? And then the doctor themselves, like my obstetrician, she's well gowned. <laughs> it's almost as if I don't even, all I see is these little eyes and, of hers because she's got her mask on. She almost the whole full PPE, right? Her birthing plan has also changed. Koran has chosen her mother to be in the birthing room. The baby's father will be a part of the experience, but virtually. Under non-COVID-19 restrictions, a new mom could have up to three people in the hospital with her. And then family and friends could visit after she's given birth. But Koran said, this isn't the case right now. So basically I'm only allowed one person. They're not allowing any more people. Um, and if it gets worse, it's a possibility that I would be in there by myself. But um, for now, she's like, no, we, we definitely will try our best to ensure that you have at least one support person in there. Um, of course, I could also use the uh, iPad or mobile device to video. I know it's not the same, but it's just a matter of how other, what are the alternatives? Whoever I come in with hospital with, I, it's just that person and I, so I leave. So there's no in and out. She told me the pandemic may keep her from doing simple things with her baby for a while. I don't even think by the time, let's say June, July, August, that that's enough time to feel a, a sense of gratification that, okay, I can go outside with my child and push her in a stroller and go for a walk. I, I don't know if I have that sense of confidence yet to go outside and feel that way. So yes, now it's a little more disappointing because I have no other choice. And that's, that's what's sad about this whole situation. While not the most ideal circumstances, I asked Koran what she is most looking forward to. Just being a mom. Like that actual term, taking care of her, having this human being in my hands, um, watching her grow, training her, showing her how to become this fruitful being in this world, 
I don't know, having a family with this child, it's just going to be, I've always wanted to be a mother. And having seen how my mother has two grown women, um, what it's like to have that bond and that relationship, it's a, it's a big thing for me. And I've never experienced, I, I, I don't, this is the only way I'll ever experience it. In Whitby, Ontario, I'm Tracy Bowers-Lee. The team at Covidcation wants to say thank you to all healthcare employees who are dedicating their time to fighting the pandemic. They are the people that are keeping us safe during these crazy times, and we hope that they know how much they are appreciated. Next week, we're taking a look at another group of people who have been impacted by COVID-19, people owning small businesses, and those who are entrepreneurs. On that episode, we'll hear from a dental hygienist, a photographer, and a Northern Horse stable owner. We'll also hear from Latoya Fagan, a celebrity chef and caterer in Scarborough, Ontario, about the impact COVID-19 is having on her business. Yeah, I'm going to take some six-figure financial losses this year, and there's nothing I can do about it. I just dumped $150,000 into a space that can't be used that's all for this week's episode of COVIDcation. Thank you so much for joining us. Earlier in the show, we heard from Scarborough nurse Patty Tamlin. Aside from fighting the pandemic, she also sings and plays guitar in her free time. We now leave you with her cover of I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Raitt. Down the
Just give me two men to give up.